If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. How you doing, buddy? We got some Thursday night football here. You're a jack guy on Thursday night. Your Colts playing? Yeah, we're uh, we're, we're down four right now. Um, Phillips trying to go for it on fourth down here. We'll see what happens. You're right. Trying to go for it on fourth down. Looks like the own Richmond, not Richmond product, but VCU product. Mo Alley's getting involved in some of these. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I took off today for the Masters. Hey. You you hit me up a little while ago and said you had triple screens while you were working, watching everything you could Masters wise. Which yeah, I had I had Amen Corner pulled up. I had the featured group, and then I had uh, four, five, six. You were doing it, man. You were you were hammering it there. I went with broadcast on the uh, TV and then watched going back and forth the my group thing. Did you see that by the way? On no, the I haven't. I didn't try that. It's awesome. Like literally, you go, you choose the guys you want, and you go into that thing, and it just starts showing you the most recent shots from whatever guy you have selected, or like the leaders, or some amazing shot. Okay. Okay. Now there is no commentary, which um. You know, for some people, they like it. It's like, I don't want to hear anybody talk. I just want to see the golf shot. So it's essentially a choose-your-own whip-around. That's it. And it's awesome. So it's pretty sweet there, man. And, uh, like, your Colts are getting closer and closer and closer to the end zone. Maybe take the lead here. Give it to Jonathan Taylor. I have him in a fantasy league. Please, please, please. Although he's Worst-case scenario, we kick another three here, and I at least get some more uh, <laughs> fantasy points for from Rodrigo. There we go, man. There we go. <laughs> awesome. Well, folks, it's Thursday. It's time to know your enemy, which we do every week. Win or lose the prior week, we're going to still be here. I hope you guys enjoyed Saturday night. That was uncut. That was raw. That was me and Brian quite a few beers deep, given our true emotions of how we feel about the program right now. And, uh, but right now, we're going to know your enemy. We are going to look at the Miami Hurricanes, the number nine team in the country, rolling into Blacksburg for the high noon kickoff that has been moved to ESPN due to all the uh, SEC basically becoming a Petri dish for the coronavirus. 
Yes, it has, man. Yes, it has. Ooh, Miami six and one. The one loss is to number one Clemson in Death Valley. So definitely a good team in the second year with Manny Diaz with the changes he made. And uh, let's let's just start straight up with it, Brian. Let's look at their offense and let's talk about the quarterback, De'Eric King, the Houston transfer who has just seamlessly transitioned into Miami. Likely a lot of that has to do with the uh, new offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley, in the air raid system, um, you know, with especially with um, De'Eric coming from the Holgerson system. You know, last year and then before that, Major Applewhite, he's always been some sort of that concept. Um, and man, he is lighting it up. 1,828 yards passing, 16 touchdowns, four picks, leading the team in rushing. So another mobile quarterback, unfortunately, 400 yeah. yards, yeah. two additional touchdowns there, completing 63% of his passes. Um, 13th in the country in passing yards. 11th in passing touchdowns. He has the fifth most rushing yards for a quarterback. And, Brian, what just happened? Uh, touchdown, jet sweep. <laughs> oh, God, are you kidding me? <laughs> the irony, the irony. Um, again, with a, uh, with a rushing quarterback, we definitely have to be worried about last week. Now, Brian, do the numbers, are they telling the truth about what De'Ara King, or are they telling lies from what the tape says? Uh, they're telling a pretty good amount of truth, man. This guy is going to be a big, big handful for our defense this week. Um, as you said, it's a, it's an air raid type system, but it's more it's based in that RPO. So it's very similar to kind of what we saw UNC running to a point, but, the, but a little bit more of the quick passing game versus shots down the field. But King does a really good job of getting the ball out of his hands quick. Um, but he'll take a shot against um, mismatches or off that play action. Um, really love targeting uh, his tight ends, swinging it out to the running backs in space, and taking kind of shots up the seam with that uh, with that play action to either the slot or the tight end. And you know, you said it with the rushing; he can absolutely burn you with his legs as well. A lot of design kind of quarterback sweeps. Um, not as much up the middle with any sort of like. Uh, leads or powers mostly on the edge um but he's really good at the scramble drill will take off and really really burn things if uh if if you're in like man coverage or anything like that where he has space to operate so um want to definitely keep him in the pocket as much as possible and hit him as much as possible we're we're going to be having our hands full all day man because he he can really hurt a defense with his arm and with his legs. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the rushing numbers are there. And then when you kind of look across the board, I mean, he spread the wealth through his receiving. You talk about those short passes and stuff and other ways that here he's hitting his receivers. I mean, they have five players with over 200 yards in seven games. That's pretty good. That tells me there might there's a couple guys leading the charge here, but at any point in time, he can choose someone and go to that person. Um, now nobody has more than four touchdowns, which again, you start getting down inside the 30 and 20 and you can't keep, which the way our defense has been playing lately makes me worry even more, but I want to look at two guys specifically. A, you kind of mentioned one of them. He loves to go to his tight end and that's Brevin Jordan, six three two forty five. 
Um, one of the best tight ends in his class when he came out in 2018. And looks like he is going to return this weekend. He'd been out the previous three games. Of course, he yep. comes back this weekend. For, <laughs> right? And you kind of look at some of his draft projections. I mean, he's looking at probably being a second-round guy and, you know, one of those top seven to five, five to seven tight ends in next year's draft. Now, in only four games this season, you know, 18 receptions, 243 yards. And, you know, but when you hear 6'3", you hear 245, you hear about some of the Brian stuff already mentioned just, you know, offhand about what King likes to do, he's going to get into it a little bit more. I want to look at two other things, Brian, here. I want to look at Harley. I want to look at Mike Harley, the 5'11", 185-pound wideout out of Fort Lauderdale. Sure. Who of the five or seizing option is clearly King's favorite at this point in time. He's really excelled in this new system compared to last year's. You know, 35 receptions, 497 yards. Um, receiving he's already surpassed his totals his yards total for last year um four touchdowns averaging 14.2 per reception so clearly probably taking some shots probably some of those wide receiver steams you talked about um now brian there is one piece that i've got to tell you about they which i don't think it should come out of shock to anybody but in case you didn't know they're still one of the worst teams in the country at protecting the quarterback, giving up almost three sacks a game, which you feel like that hasn't changed last year. Although to me, I feel like they were giving up more last year, but they were, they were. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. So Brian, how do you think the air raid concept are not only, to, not only helping the receiving core out, but also helping the offensive line out? So yeah, I'll start with Brevin Jordan, how the, the system has really led him flourish. Um, you got with that type of athleticism and that size, getting him out in the flat, um, and getting him up the seam, um, you know, really gives him room to operate and, and, and take advantage of mismatches in the, uh, in the secondary there. He's a big time red zone threat and, uh, honestly an underrated blocker. He does some good things for them in the run game as well. So, um, you know, he's, he's a guy that we're going to need to account for every play, um, but as you said, the guy that they really like to hit from a wide receiver perspective is Mike Harley, who plays primarily in the slot. And that's the guy that King really targets when he needs to move the sticks is the tight ends and the slot receiver, Mike Harley. Um, he'll take kind of swings, screens. Um, I saw him take a slant against NC State to the house. Um, so he's a guy that can take some of those short routes and make big plays out of them. Um, has really good vision once he has the ball in his hands and um you know can outrun most anybody on the field as well so um we're gonna have to account for him every down as well and you talked about the offensive line man they're not a great offensive line they're probably just above average in run blocking um even though the middle of that line is a little suspect but they're still pretty bad in pass pro um but (laughs) With the RPO concepts, with the zone reads, with the play action, with the ball getting out of King's hands a lot faster, they're not giving up the sacks they were last year because the ball's out of King's hand. And just his athleticism, if if they don't have a great play, they don't block it well, but all of a sudden King can make something out of nothing and, and turn it into a positive game there. So 
um, you know, that unit has had a lot taken off of their plate just by the insertion of Derek King into this lineup. Brian, did you have like memories of some of the Tyrod, B. Ran, Marcus Vick years when the lines weren't so great at Virginia Tech, where those guys could make, you know, make just everything out of absolutely garbage? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you, you look at it, it's like, well, it's like, well, Kings get eight up and all of a sudden he kind of gets outside and it's a, you know, a 10 yard gain on what should have been an eight yard sack. I mean, you see that a lot with this team. Um, it's going to be something that we're going to need to focus on. Like I said, I want to keep him in the pocket, working that leverage and make sure that if he's stepping up, he's stepping up into the heart of the defense and not getting to the edge um, Mm -hmm. where he can hurt us real bad. Other names to know at the wide receivers, Mark Pope, D Wiggins and Will Mallory, all three over 200 yards, all three averaging over 12 yards per reception. So again, they've, they've got numerous weapons. So the two names we really focused on, if you hear the other names be, being called, don't be shocked this week. Now, Brian, well, we saved essentially the worst for last. Well, <laughs> the worst when it concerns how our defense has been looking for the past few weeks. Um, you know, we're going to look at their running backs. You know, we know King running the ball, and this might be an air raid type system, but this is, again, one of those modified area type systems where the running backs are going to get the ball some. They're going to get yeah. their chances. And really, there's two guys who have significantly stood out. The first is Cameron Harris, the 5'10", 210-pound running back out of Miami, so a hometown kid down there. He's a truly your more traditional style running back, getting 396 yards, about 4.9 a carry. Um, also an additional 87 receiving yards with six total touchdowns. And the other guy I want to look at, to me, this is, as a true freshman, and it makes sense after Lashley came in last year, he is the more air raid type of running back. Jalen Knighton, 5'10", 195 pounds. He was literally one of the top all-purpose backs coming out of last year's class. We say what we want to say. We make fun of how they recruit. They still can get talented guys and Knighton is definitely one of them. 171 yards on the ground, 135 receiving yards. Also does some kickoff returns. Got a like I think seven or five or seven returns. Has gotten 100 yards in that, along with two touchdowns. Brian, after last week, and then after the weight game, and you know after parts of the Louisville game, we know the problems we have on the rush D. What does this team do that could expose it even more with King and these two guys? Well, what's what scares me is kind of the same thing that scared me against Louisville, and they really didn't take advantage of it against us. But, you know, having running backs and a quarterback that can rush against you at an elite level. In this case, Harris is more of the kind of stick-moving, one-cut type back. Um, he's also a really good blocker. So you'll see him, um, leading out for, for King on some of those design quarterback sweeps, um, things like that. So he's the guy that's going to be probably getting the most, uh, snaps, the most reps there on the offense. Um, but you'll see Jalen Knighton work in, uh, quite a bit. He is 
much better on the edge in terms of the rush game. Um, they also use him as a receiving threat, as you were noting there, very much a, uh, a, a dual threat type running back there. And he has really good speed and breaks tackles. So that's why he's kind of a threat on the special teams as well. So um, we got to keep an eye out for him. And the other guy that will mix in there occasionally is uh, Don Chaney Jr. Um, he's kind of a little bit of a, of a mix of both of those guys. He's got some, some one cut can break some good tackles, um, but they have used him in the run in the uh, passing game as well. So uh, keep an eye out for him. He's kind of the, the third down option, almost like a spell type guy that can really come in there and take carries that would either go to Harris or Knighton just because he's a little bit more uh, versatile. Nice. Now, Brian, one thing I do want everybody to know is this team's only had eight turnovers in seven games, so they don't hemorrhage the ball a lot. They do protect it pretty well. Three of those came against Clemson, so in the other six games, they're averaging less than one turnover per game. Um Solid conversion on third down rate at 43.9. Um, worries me since Iris is significantly just keeps going up. We're at 41.2 and stopping the rush. Um, that's only 68th best in the country. So on the bottom side, below average. Um, and another thing I noticed, and it goes back when I hear you talk about the short passes, the quick scrambles, they are getting a ton of first downs a game. They are the 19th essentially best team in the country at getting first downs per game. So, you know, you talk about they can hit the home runs, but they're not afraid to get in the car and take a Sunday drive on you and say, okay, you want 12 plays? Let's do it. We can do it this way. So, Brian, we sit here, and I made the joke earlier. As we were getting all this stuff come up, I was like, Brian, have you really went to the depths of the despair that you you're, you don't even want to write anything about how <laughs> And Brian was like, no, 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 I've got some. I just, I've got it written down. I haven't typed it in yet. I'm like, okay, so Brian, how do we slow them down? So the big thing, and I mean, you're, you're going to call me kind of crazy when I say this, but I want to get the ball out of King's hands as much as possible. I, I want... <laughs> When, when we're talking about playing on defensive line, if they're in that zone read and that RPO, I want to attack the mesh and make the quarterback either get rid of the ball fast or give it to the running back. Um, I don't want the ball in, in King's hands for very long because the longer it's in his hands, the worse things happen. Uh, I think can happen to the defense. Um, Getting the ball in his hands, like with a, uh, you know, squeezing that mesh point in the RPO and in the zone read, um, it's going to pre- create more predictable outcomes in the running game. If we know we can force the ball into the running back's hands, that means if our linebackers are where they need to be, if our defensive tackles are holding their ground, then we should be there to make the play. So I'm, I'm trying to create predictable, more predictable outcomes here. So that's what that would do. I'd have some defender probably chase uh, Jordan pretty much wherever he goes. Um, He's going to be a guy that they're going to try to get the ball out too quick, and he's also going to be able to attack up the seam. I'd like to take away those type of plays as much as possible because that's going to be those little stick movers that end up kind of frustrating and tiring out the defense. Um, I know this kind of goes some with what I've already talked about, but we need to set the edge 
<laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> please, please don't give up outside leverage to this team because they will eat your lunch all day. And the game starts at 12, so there's going to be lunch available. <laughs> And last, man, if you can do those things, you still need to tackle, tackle, tackle. Oh, uh, which we have not been doing a lot of. No, we haven't. But that includes Jordan. That includes Knighton. That includes Harris. That includes Harley in those King, um, quick passing game. It includes King out on the edge or when he you know scrambles out of the pocket. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to make plays, but we have to make them. In order to make a play on defense, you have to tackle. (laughs) That's a prerequisite. (laughs) It's the truth, man. In the last few weeks, it's been a struggle for us. So, you know, let's hope that something is clicking. You know, as Dax Hollyfield said at the podium, it feels like they were getting closer and closer, and it's about to click. Something needs to click. Yeah, something's got to click because the defense has had a pretty, I'd say, I'm not going to say a bad run, but the last four games haven't been great. No. And two of them have been pretty bad. About as, And I, honestly, Liberty was about as bad as they can get. It's very true, man. Very true. So let's hope something clicks there and maybe it's the last week was the dark before the dawn now Brian let's flip to the other side because you know the strength of our team right now is the offense and let's take a look at Miami yeah let's do total, total defense wise giving up 393 a game good for 52nd so about middle of the road not great not awful um giving up 148 on the ground which is 53rd in the nation 245 passing which is 75th so you know of their defense, obviously, the running game is showing as the strength. But a couple of their games, they've gotten ahead and teams have been forced to pass. So sometimes those skew the results. But either way, you look at it, you kind of feel well, this is strength on strength for us. Um, middle of the road, sacking the quarterbacks, a little less than two and a half a game, you know, 47th in the country. And they have forced 10 turnovers. Um, so definitely – you know, five of each, so not a not picking the ball off, not punching the ball out, but just kind of steady. And believe it or not, it's one of those things where for what this offense does, they didn't need a super dominant defense. They just needed a defense that's doing what they're doing, which is playing very steady, you know, not doing anything spectacular. So with the t- so why is it with a lot of talent? They're just kind of – they're not blah. They're not, hey, they're more, eh, you know, they're okay. Um, I mean, to me, some of it has to do with the fact that when you've got a a fast-paced offense, a lot of times other teams kind of match that tempo, and that can put your defense on their, on their, uh, on their heels a little bit. Um, so sometimes you see that with, uh, with, with offenses that kind of play that more up-tempo game. Uh, but if we look at this defense, let's, let's get into some of the minutia of what they do and how they do it. So they're kind of a multiple front defense. They, they usually have a base two, four, five nickel, um, type, type defense. They're very similar to 
UNC in terms of alignment, but they deploy their positions a lot differently. Um, you know, they've got a uh, what they call a striker, which is kind of similar to like our whip position, kind of an oversized safety with good coverage skills, um, ability to come up and play the run as well. Um, you'll see them often cover the tight ends and guys in the slot, um, depending on the, uh, the, the personnel that the offense deploys. Uh, the player to watch there is Gilbert Frierson. He's the guy that is out there the most at that position. Uh, Keontra Smith will work in there as well. But uh, Frierson's probably one of the better players on the defense just because of his versatility and ability to, to really run with guys but also make some plays in their running game. We've got the other position that we're going to talk about here is Viper. Uh, these are kind of your these are your stand up edge rushers. Okay. Um, think about what Trayvon Hill did a lot last year. Think about what you've seen uh, Quincy Roche do so far for them. Um, Jalen Phillips is another guy that will work in that type of position. Primarily edge rushers and guys that are going to feel they'll they'll slip out into the flat, but they they usually don't have any strong coverage responsibilities. Okay. Um, and as I've looked, I mean, they will show various fronts. So a lot of times they'll have that kind of that two four five look with those uh, those viper type uh, players standing up. Sometimes they'll just have one standing up. Sometimes they will have a single D tackle in both of them standing up. Sometimes they will have um, almost like a, a, a three, four look. So they, uh, they deploy these guys really differently depending on the, uh, the opponent and the personnel and formation that the offense comes out in. Yeah, Brian, you mentioned there, you know, obviously Roche, a hokey miss. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a miss or a missed bag for Roche. (laughs) You know, 31 tackles, 10 tackles for loss. He's tied for the team lead with Jalen Phillips um, at two and a half. Uh, Another guy you have not mentioned that kind of caught my my eye was Bubba Bolden, the six foot three, 200 pound um, USC transfer um, who is leading the team in tackles. Um, also has an interception, also has forced a bunch of fumbles. So, you know, you, you've kind of set that up. What is what is Bolden doing on this team, and why are his numbers sticking out so much kind of across the board? Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of the other standout player in the secondary. Um, you know, I kind of mentioned the guy that's playing uh, striker. He's more, more of a linebacker that, that can cover. Um, Bubba Bolden's the true – secondary player um, that's standing out here. Very instinctive player. He has great speed and uh, he's not afraid to hit. He'll, he'll lay a pop on guys in the, in the running game and guys going across the middle of the defense. Um, But he also plays the deep half really well, really well. So um, you'll see him, you know, get some, make some plays in the secondary with, uh, with some tip balls, some interceptions, but you'll see him come up and cover the run just just as well as um, a, as you would see a linebacker. So, uh, really really versatile player there. Um, the rest of the back end though is kind of susceptible to being thrown on. So I think we might have some opportunities there. Um, and 
on third down, they like to bring pressure. They don't have great sack numbers, so they're not getting home a lot with it. Mm-hmm. But they are doing a good job of making quarterbacks throw before they're ready, and that's created some of those turnovers we've talked about. Um, so they mix up their fronts a lot, so we don't really know what level and who's coming um, pre-snap, so they do a good job with kind of disguising those blitzes. Well, yeah, well, you know, you mentioned Bubbling essentially all the stuff he does well. And, I mean, Bowen was a top 100 guy coming out. He yeah. was an elite prospect, and it's no doubt why you transfer from USC to Miami. You know, weather's similar. You know, schools are similar. So, I guess <laughs> in, in Southern California, it felt like you needed to go. A lot, lot more humidity. Yeah, more humidity. But <laughs> Hey, Brian, before you get into kind of breaking down what we need to do on offense, if you think Rousseau was playing, do you think they would be a top 15, top 20 defense? You know, they'd be in that ballpark. Um, you know, right now, probably at, at an elite level, Roche and Phillips are are doing a damn good job. But if you throw in another, you know, all ACC caliber player, potential all American caliber player to be the focal point of that. I mean, the, the sky would be the limit for them getting pressure on the quarterback. So uh, that, that would definitely, you know, I think at least bump them up probably in the, in the top 25 range or maybe top 30. Um, Yeah. They're definitely missing his presence because, you know, after Roche and Phillips, there's not a whole lot of, great play there's some good play um but you know quincy roche at the viper and phillips playing both a traditional dn and that viper role um you know they, they've had some success with that so um you know not a big jump in the top end but being able to rotate an, an additional elite level pass rusher into that that mix would definitely uh help them out right so what are we going to do to attack and what do we need to do to attack them well, if there's a weakness of the defense, it's kind of in the middle. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of inside zone. Um, I would like to, even though we saw too much of it last week, I, I would like to see us run some of the uh, the QB lead and the, the QB powers to hopefully get some gash plays up the middle there. But we need to get the ball out of, hooker's hands from time to time and let the running backs make some plays. So it bothers me that potentially Khalil Herbert could be out again. We need to find another guy that can work between the tackles other than Herbert. Um, I, I love Blackshear, but I think we're misusing him as just a RB2 spellback. We, we need to use him in more versatile ways. And so I'm thinking maybe some other guys are going to need to step up to be that between the tackle type uh, running back. If we got situation where Herbert needs a blow or in some case like this, where potentially Herbert's going to miss the game. Um, so that that's the big thing. I think this team is also susceptible to the screen game just because of how aggressive they play um, at the D line and linebacker level. So that's where Blackshear can come into play. That's where, um, you know, Gallo or Mitchell, if he's healthy, can come into play. So hopefully we can see some more of the, the tight end and running back screens that will take advantage of some of their aggression. 
And honestly, we're going to need to attack them in the passing game because um, they're going to stack the box regardless of whether Herbert's in there or not. Yep. Because they know we're going to still try to use our offensive line to assert a strong running game, whether the ball's going to one of the other running backs, like I hope it will, or whether it's going to be Hendon Hooker running a ton of quarterback lead and a ton of quarterback power or quarterback sweep. So, um, yeah, I really hope that we're able to find another option and also keep them honest with a consistent and efficient passing game um, so that we can really still run our playbook the way we'd like to. It's true, man. Um, something that, the you know, when they said the other week was guys like Taj Gary and Marco Lee, are they just, they just aren't quite ready. You know what, man? We know how those practices look and, well, this guy's looking better. We know that you failed on that occasion, at least with quarterbacks. Could you be failing with running backs as well? Potentially, yes. And so maybe you just need to give those guys the opportunity on the field and just throw practice down the drain because in this situation, You've got to find a second running back. I think Blackshear is okay as a spellback to where hey, we're going to give him a couple blows. That's fine. They have underutilized him. I love Tay Robinson to death, but why Raheem has not been on punt returns baffles the crap out of me. Probably the one glaring thing um, Shabest has not done good this year is not giving that man the opportunity to actually return punts. One thing, Brian, I think could be key in this game potentially to help the Hokies is we've got to take advantage of all the penalties that they do. They're averaging 75 penalty yards a game. They are literally one of the worst football teams in the country. You think about that, essentially you think 75 yards, you think that's an extra touchdown. Yeah. And the way we've played the last few weeks, an extra touchdown in one game won us. An extra touchdown in one game lost us. And actually, if you go back even to the Wake Forest game, extra touchdown lost us the game. We need to take advantage of that, Brian. Absolutely. And, I mean, we saw just watching the tape, man, some of it is, you know, procedure sites type stuff, but some of it's just being undisciplined and getting, you know, personal fouls. (laughs) So, yeah, this is still a Miami team, guys. (laughs) They're they're still going to have some undisciplined play and gift you a first down here or there. Um, honestly, some, some tight calls in the NC state game and UVA game probably uh, ended up losing both of those teams, a potential shot to knock off Miami. So hopefully we can take advantage of them where some, uh, some of those uh, other teams fail to do so. Let's hope we can, man. You know what? Let's turn now to the pivotal players. And today it's kind of funny. It's going to be pivotal people. (laughs) We've had to go a little different here this week. I want to start with offense, and it's not even a doubt who number one is. It's Hendon Hooker this week. If Hendon Hooker doesn't play well, we have no shot in this game. Yes, especially if if we've got guys like Mitchell and Herbert potentially not being – good enough to go a lot's going to fall on hooker's shoulders just as it did last week. And he answered the, 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 the bell last week, um, despite not getting the win. But, 
Um, he's going to have to do it again if we're going to have a chance to win this one. Needs to play a turnover-free game, be efficient in the passing game, and do everything he's been doing in the running game when his number's called. It's true, man. It's true. The second one is the running back unit and hole. We've already kind of went in depth a couple times with it. I'm sorry I went on my tangent a few minutes ago, but that's going to happen when we're playing the way we're playing. And Brian's already said it as well. It can't just be Juice. If Juice is banged, there's got to be somebody else like out there. Brian's already said it numerous times. Blackshear's not that guy to be on the inside. Is he an okay spell? Yeah, right? 100%. Yeah. You want to give him three or you know four or five inside? Cool. He's got to be used elsewhere. I don't care if it's Jalen Holston, Marco Lee, Ty Gary, anybody else you want to name. We've got to go ahead and try. And you had a free year. What the hell is it going to hurt to give one of these guys a chance to go out there, even if you don't feel they're ready in practice? Yeah, I agree with you, man. Uh, you know, I said it a little bit when we were breaking down, you know, what we need to do. And I'll say it again. We need somebody in that running back room to step up. We talked about all off season. You know, we bolster the running back room. We bolster the running back room. And obviously Herbert, that's paid big dividends. You've misused Blackshear a lot. And then after that, it's been kind of a question mark. Like, uh, okay. I mean, we saw Holston get some, some good runs week one against NC State. And he had one or two early um, in the game against Liberty. And then once we realized that, quarterback lead and quarterback power were working. working. We just got lazy and just kept running that over and over and over. Uh-huh. And I, and I get that, you know, you can get four or five yards with that pretty much every time you call it, but at some point, you know, at, at what risk, like why, why are we just continually with this offensive line against a team like Liberty, just continually running our quarterback into the middle of that defense? True, man. It's true. And the other piece you talk about Jalen and it's the piece and it's why our number third person is our number third person. He had broken that 12 yard run to get it inside the five. And Brian, after I say that, if people listened last week, who's the number three? Brad Cornelson, Mr. Corn himself. And Brian, I'm going to let you go ahead and give a couple of your reasons, and I'm going to give my reasons why he's number three on here. Go ahead and lead, sir. Well, I went in just now about let's not kill our quarterback just because it's the easy thing to do. Um, <laughs> again, we were playing Liberty. We should not need an extra blocker and risk our quarterback's health to get five yards a pop. It's my opinion. Y'all can disagree with me, but just because something working doesn't mean it's the best option. Number two, one of the biggest criticisms I always have is that he does a poor job of adjusting to get his offense comfortable when the initial game plan kind of goes out of the window. And I never saw that adjustment. Again, he kind of took the easy route of just running hooker up the middle of the whole game instead of trying to get other guys comfortable, other guys involved. 
I honestly would prefer if we stop the, the damn check with Mies and just go tempo as often as possible. Because when we went tempo, it clicked no matter who got the ball. It wasn't just about him and Hooker. It was about getting the ball out, whether it's in the run game or the passing game, and, and doing what was most effective. So that would be my suggestion, and that hopefully is something that we see in this game. It's true, man. And and what you said there is where I am at. It's the whole the check with me and all that crap. I, I think it's got to stop. Go get the guys comfortable. What I don't want to see this week is us be in prime situations to score touchdowns or to gain first downs, and then the boneheaded calls come out. If he comes out here and he calls, you know, if he calls the whole game like he does 80% of the game, can we win this game? Yeah. Could we win this game by more than one or two points? Yeah, we could. But if we go there and it's, and it's the and I then I'll revert back to it again. You're at the four fucking yard line. You can take a ten point lead in the half. You have a timeout in your pocket, and you run what he ran. Or let's go back to UNC, Brian. Essentially, I still feel the drive that swung that game in their favor. We're at the plus what forty two. Yep, third and four. Left on a screen, short side, two yards behind, essentially six yards where you need to go to Tavion Robinson, and then run a slant. Those are the ones that anger me. Yeah. So for him, it's, dude, call the right game. Know your strengths. Don't get your quarterback killed. Get people comfortable. And you know what? Go tempo. And if the coach comes and if head coach comes screens, hey, you can't keep doing that, say, listen, this is the only way I can get us going without screwing the pooch. Don't also don't get a puckered asshole in the red zone. Yeah. If you run tempo the whole field, all of a sudden you get in the red zone, you get a puckered asshole and start overthinking things. You're still killing drives. He just said puckered asshole, folks. <laughs> all right. Well, let's flip it now, Brian. Let's go over to the defense, and I feel like the first two are just becoming the constants, and it's not a shock. The first one's a defensive line. And obviously with what they do, if if we, especially on the interior, man, if we play like we've been playing the last few weeks, again, if we continue with the similar combinations, yep. I'd be a little different maybe for Pollard this week because they do like to pass and he can shoot up real quick. But <sighs> if you're going to roll Pollard out there, you can't roll Hewitt out there at the same time for – significant snaps in a row that's that's my opinion y'all can like it dislike it whatever you want to do with it but that's that's what i'm seeing um tackles are going to have to hold their own hold their gaps um defensive ends are going to have a a, a much tougher game um they're going to need to force the action at the mesh point and make king give the ball to the running backs and if he doesn't give the ball to the running backs you need to make him pay for that so are you saying in this case, Brian, like if they're on a read, it's just like, don't care, don't even read it, just go right after him? The the read man needs to attack the mesh point with outside leverage. But meaning you meaning that we're not flying upfield, we're flying at the mesh point. Okay. 
And in doing that, you should force, more often than not, King to give the ball to the running back. And if we can do that, I like our chances a whole lot better than having to essentially account for both the quarterback and the running backs at the linebacker position, which we're about to get to. <laughs> For the shocker, the linebacker position's number two. Obviously, last week we lost, you know, Rook for the majority of that game. And, man, they took it full advantage of that. It appears he should be back. But it's the same. We, we talked about it earlier. You said it. I think you said it 17 times. Tackle, 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 tackle. Yep. All I, all I want to see from the linebackers is good run fits and tackles being made. If that's all I get, that's all I want. <laughs> so if, if, the, if, if we can do that, we can worry about the other stuff at a later time. Uh-huh. Let, let's handle the basics of linebacker play, and to me that's what needs to, to get done here. All right. Holy shit, He's is he going to score? No. Okay, sorry, guys. Colts about to go up uh, uh, 17 here. <laughs> Wait, Brian's going to have a few celebratory beers after we're done recording and after maybe his Colts close it out. I, the Colts have left a lot of points on the field, too. So it's uh, <laughs> <They're at> 27. <laughs> yeah, the fact, the fact we're at 27 with probably easily 10 points left on the field, I'll, I'll take that all day. Give um, Frank Reich some credit here, by the way. Frank Wright running those jet sweep, running those pop passes. He's essentially running away from the strength, even though that one clowny play that you mentioned was just horrible. But he's not letting them do essentially what they do up front. Hey, Brad, I hope you're watching this. See? Look. (laughs) All right, last one because the defense don't get out of this anyway. This is the big one. Yep. Third down stops as a defense. And, Brian, I put it on here. You didn't change it, and I think you agree with me. And this is as a whole. The defensive coordinator, Justin Hamilton, call the right plays. Coaches, I hope you're coaching the guys up to things that we're seeing this week that if we do, we're going to do it. And the players, keep your responsibility. Make the tackle because – if third down happens this week like it did last week, we lost to them by three. It's going to be a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, taking it a step further, defensive coaches, players on the sideline, keep that team hype on third down to where they're playing with energy and not looking lethargic. <laughs> It's like we get to third down and we're like patting ourselves on the back and we're like forgetting, oh, yeah, we still got to stop them one more time. Or we at least need to stop them from gaining enough yards where they can roll the dice on fourth down. And Miami is a team that will roll the dice on fourth down, ladies and gentlemen. So if it's a fourth and three or less, look for them to go for it if they're not deep in their own end. It's very true, man. It's very true. So those are the pivotal people. Not players this week, the pivotal people. And it might be more of this as we go along with these last uh, four games of the season right here. Yep. All right, Brian. Saw it today. Hewitt gets to 25. Hopefully it means his 
plays look better in practice because it's not been great lately. We know he's the heart of a lion, great leader, but, you know, we need to see the results on the field and I hope wearing that number takes him up a little bit. I mean, in some ways it's almost like he's playing bad, but he's being put in positions to play bad. He's not. <laughs> no, he's not. So, I mean – you know, I'm not saying he was the best player on the field, on the defensive line, or anything like that. But you know, he plays hard, and again, he hasn't been put in the greatest positions to succeed. Hopefully, they do better with that this week with him wearing 25. He wore 25 last year when we beat Miami, so hopefully, that has some good connotations carrying over into this year. We'll see. Brian, what's the uniforms look like this week? I did not see the reveal. Did we do a reveal? Uh, there was. <laughs> Not so much of a reveal. It was a little photo drop that we didn't have any, uh, you know, no, no, no video cut, nothing like that. We just, all right. It's, it's fucking maroon helmets. It's fucking maroon jersey. Fucking white pants. Fucking white cleats. You done? Get out of here. Hey, have they? Have the <laughs> players have been told you're playing like crap? We're we're losing games. Nobody's allowed to go film something cool during the day. Yeah, you don't. You don't get to. Uh, take, you know, whatever, half hour out of your day to throw in a uh, a nice fit and get shot by uh, by Zach and that team. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of like the idea there, just, you know, throwing it out there and being done with it. I mean, you don't you don't get to do cool shit when you play a game like you did against Liberty. Nice. It's just the, that's just the, the way it goes. All right, Brian. It's prediction time. And uh, I fell flat on my face last week, so I get to let you lead this week. All right, man. Well, I like this to be a tight game, but I don't like us to win it. All right. Um, that's not saying we can't. That's saying I don't think we will. I think we definitely have the ability to stay in this game, especially if we can find some of the answers that I talked to. But it's going to be tight and I think it's going to be a 41-38 Miami victory. All right. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a little bit bigger of a number than you are because I think it's going to be very similar that we're going to have a couple times where instead of scoring touchdowns, we score field goals. I think it's going to be a good game. I think we're going to show pretty well. I think there probably will be some fire, but – I, the way our defensive played really, you know, the last three weeks, um, I can't see us winning this game. I'm going to go 49-38 Miami as well. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's just you, you, you want to be a fan, and we won't, but when, you know, again, rooting for them, you know, basically – pretty much our whole adult lives and a lot of our adolescent years, we want to be real. We don't want to be the podcast that is always, Hoagies are going to win. I don't want to become, what's the guy that was in D.C. for all those years? Larry Michaels. Skins <laughs> were the most dreadful team. I'm going to say the Skins won this one, 21-20, and it's like, Dude, they're playing the Packers, who are like nine and one, who are scoring forty six points a game. You guys can't do anything. So you know that's just me, man. And I think that's you as well across the aisle there. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, talent-wise, other than Clemson and this year Notre Dame, I think we can compete with pretty much any team in the ACC, but we've just been so inconsistent, and we got a couple guys, like key guys that might be out of this game. I just, I just don't see it happening, man. Absolutely. All right, well, folks, we're going to roll on five games this week, four ACC, one out of conference, because as I said earlier, the SEC is essentially a petri dish for COVID and nobody's playing as the Big Ten is becoming, and they're having to just officially fully cancel games. So let's look at these four games, five games, Brian. Let's start with Wake UNC. UNC laying 13 and a half. Uh, Brian, you led our game, so I'm going to lead this game. I mean, I like UNC, and I think they're a good team. But I've seen Wake playing. Wake is very scrappy. And I feel like giving them almost two touchdowns is way too much. Um, I think they will put up some points against UNC. I think they'll lose, but I think it'll be a lot closer than what the experts think. Yeah, that's a one-score game. Give me Wake and the points. All right. So we got an agreement here on this one. Shocked. Shocked. Not that shocked. No, not shocked at all. <laughs> all right. Louisville UVA. Game got canceled last week due to some COVID issues down in Louisville. Can't blame us. Everybody's had it on our team. They can't have it a second time and give it to you. <laughs> UVA laying three and a half. A two and four team laying three and a half. What do you think? Oh, man. UVA is one of those teams that's burned me a couple times and helped me a couple times. Um, man, give me, give me Louisville. All right, Louisville for Brian. Um, I'm gonna go opposite on this one. I'm gonna pick the uh, Cavaliers here, just because. When you hear a team lost that much with COVID, you knew there were some guys out from our game, probably people not getting full weeks of practice. And even like this, I think UVA will scrap it together in some way, shape, or form and beat them. So I'll I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the reason that I'm going Louisville is just because that UVA secondary has been suspect. And I think, I I think they hit some big plays down the field against this team. Gotcha. All right. The next one, Brian, and I'll lead this one, is going to be BC Notre Dame. Notre Dame coming off that unbelievable win Saturday night over Clemson in touchdown, in the uh, shadow of touchdown Jesus. They are laying 13 and a half to BC. Brian, do you know the last time Notre Dame beat a number one team? Prior to Saturday night. I do not. It was 1993. It was one of of those first college football memories. They beat Charlie Ward and FSU. Essentially, Ward's last second touchdown pass to the end zone fell flat. Irish win, flood the field like Saturday night, not as many people. Do you know who they played the next week? Who's that? They played BC. Do you know what happened the next week? What happened the next week? lost okay getting themselves out of the national championship game okay uh so i think Notre Dame wins this but i'm gonna lay the 13 and a half there's no way 
you're going to say they're going to cover almost two scores coming off that kind of emotional victory. So give me BC. Give me the 13 and a half points. I'm right there with you, actually. Um, we saw BC hang in there against Clemson. I think it's a similar type type, type deal here, um, especially with Notre Dame coming off a big victory. Um, probably feel really good about themselves right now. Oh, yeah. And I think BC, you know, Notre Dame does a really good job of taking away the run. Yes, they do. BC don't really run the ball, man. Well, yeah, we've talked about them like one of the worst running teams in it. So, you know, I think BC still moves the ball because they're not relying upon gaining a bunch of yards on the ground. So I think BC is able to keep it close. Absolutely. All right, this is an interesting, Brian, because the way everything's looked down in Tallahassee, we think it's bad here. And we've seen people make points like, listen, we're at least four and three, four and two in conference. FSU's acts what one and five, two and five, one and five in conference, right? Am I, am I yeah, right? yeah, you're nailing it. So NC State's laying nine and a half. Um, I think Marvin Wilson and several other guys opted out this week. Um, one of their wide receivers is transferring to Indiana. So what do you think, Brian, on the FSU NC State game? This wouldn't have been a bad line before the mass exodus. <laughs> Give me NC State, man. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go right with you, Brian, because it's a mass exodus. You know, yeah, they got their quarterback, but you, you saw – I just uh, – you saw them just hemorrhage points to Pitt, and Pitt held them. But I think what it is is the quarterback who did have those success for a few weeks, the tapes getting out there, and it's like, this is what we can do to take it away. So I'm going to take it with you. All right. We're going to go out of conference for the big one Saturday night. Michigan at Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin, who has been COVID riddled for multiple weeks, is laying four and a half. Um, And I'm trying to figure out, you know, I know Michigan's lost two in a row, you know, after the opening week win against Minnesota, losing to Michigan State, losing last weekend to Indiana. But you're talking about Wisconsin team that hasn't played in three weeks. You also don't know when that Wisconsin team is going to be, how fully engaged they're going to be with all their players. I don't know if Michigan's going to win this game or not, but if you're giving me points in the way I'm smelling things, I'll take Michigan on this one. Yeah, this this one's kind of an interesting one because you've got two scenarios that are working against each other. You've got – Wisconsin that probably is the better team. If nothing, you know, everything, all the other factors taken out, Wisconsin's the better team. But they're coming off multiple weeks of dealing with COVID. You don't know how many of their players are going to be 100%, how many of their players have gotten significant amount of practice. On the other side, you've got, Michigan that has not played well the last two weeks, but you've got Harbaugh that's probably coaching for his job at this point. Um, you know what? Give me the Badgers. Oh, okay. 
Brian goes with the Badgers. And we actually picked, let's see here. Uh, we actually disagreed on two things this week. So yo, it's like, oh, it's like a record, exactly. especially for the smaller sample size. Exactly. <laughs> If this All was right. eight, that wouldn't have been that bad. But usually exactly. at five, usually one's the number at the most. <laughs> Very true. All right, what you smoking this weekend, C? This weekend, buddy, I'm just going uh, pull pork. Throwing a throwing a Boston butt on the smoker. Going Carolina style. Okay. Yes, sir. What's uh What's some sort of a few must-haves when you do a Carolina style sauce? So I usually go with with vinegar and some Texas peat, throwing a little brown sugar and some, uh, some pepper flakes. That's in my, I essentially use that as a mop sauce. And then I dress it at the end after I pulled it. Um, as far as actually rubbing the butt itself, um, when I go Carolina style, I, I just go kosher salt. That's oh, it. Okay. Yeah. I let, I let the mop sauce flavor everything and just let the salt do the talking as far as the rub. Nice, man. Anything breaking other than your team is up 17 with the ball at 6.50? Yeah, we're we running out the clock now. This, yeah. this, is, this, is a, this is a kill shot here. Not, nothing else, man. I haven't seen anything come across my board. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for your podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Music. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him in Roanoke at Bloom Restaurant and Wine Bar on November 19th. He'll be playing at 5.30, so go out and see him if you live in that that area. Also, check him out on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. Always look forward to your ratings, your feedback of what we're doing good, what we're doing bad. Let us know what you want to hear more of. And as always, let's go. Hokies.